Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. What centers your life? Is it your most dominant thought? Is it truth or ugliness, joy or rage, past experiences or present suffering? Is it fears or ambition that hold the center? Relationships, struggling or supportive? Do you find your center in a struggle with addiction, with shame, with your own best intentions? What centers you? Cultural identity? Family trauma? A sense of right and wrong? Does faith center you? Faith in God? Faith in others? Faith in yourself? Even blind faith? What centers your life? For the next seven weeks, we're going to explore a new kind of center, a freedom center, a joy center, a love center, a spirit center that's been gifted to us by God through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. I'm really excited to share this series with you. Romans 8 which not only occupies the very center of a 16-chapter letter, the letter to the Romans that the Apostle Paul wrote, it's also been hailed by many as the high point in the whole of Scripture, that somewhere in this chapter it captures all that God has done for us in Jesus and invites us to come into that center by the Holy Spirit. Each week during this seven-week series, we're going to explore another passage. We're just going to proceed through this verse by verse in this wonderful chapter. And each week, we're going to encounter a centering truth for our lives. A truth that has the power to change us in every way. Let's pray together as we dive in. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would meet us now in our homes wherever we're gathered, that you would meet us, minister to us, that we would receive this teaching today with open hearts, ready hands, that we would hear from you this invitation to live from the center. Thank you for being with us today. Empower me as I share and all of us to receive this great truth. Amen. Amen. Well, let's start by just walking through it. Will will you join me? Romans chapter 8, look it up on your phones, your computer, Bibles, wherever. We're going to explore just the first four verses. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It starts with, I think, one of the most powerful statements 
in all of Scripture. Verse 1. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So now, and maybe a little bit more of a familiar translation for many would be, therefore there is now no condemnation. I love that. What a bold statement. Can you feel the power of it? It sits here at the very center of the good news of Jesus. The very center of the whole Bible story. The center of the story of Israel. The center of our world's history. In fact, it sits at the very center of your story as a follower of Jesus. Now here, just in this first verse or two, it's kind of like a tiny rosebud that is set to blossom. It's all there. It's all contained in this tightest little form. This little so now, or therefore there is now, is this beautiful little rosebud that will then be developed as we continue now through this chapter and really in the whole of the gospel. But this little so now, this little therefore, grammatically forces us to look back for just a moment. It reminds us that, of course, chapter 8 came out of chapter 7, that we need to actually go back a little bit to discover why this is such a powerful truth, why this is so good. Because we can't really receive this incredible announcement that there is now no condemnation if we don't understand how dire our situation really was, which is what Paul had been arguing just before this point. So let's look back for a moment. In chapter 7, Paul reminds followers of Jesus that the death of Jesus secured their freedom, secured our freedom, by condemning the power of slavery to sin. Freedom from that. Freedom from that condemning power, as well as freedom from the condemning power of the law. Paul explains that even though God's law was good, righteous, holy, spiritual, The law was unable to fix our problem. Unable to do what needed to be done in us. The law couldn't secure our freedom. It couldn't change our hearts. The result was that the law, even though it was good and holy and from God, in fact became our judge and our condemner. We were helpless. There was nothing we could do before it. The trouble, Paul explains, was was not the law. The trouble was our sin. The trouble was us. But because sin is so nasty and so devious, it was able to take God's good law and then use it to destroy us even further. So the trouble, Paul writes in verse 14 of chapter 7, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good, the trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. But what we discover is that the problem wasn't just an external law that condemned us from the outside. The truth is, 
we weren't able to be even as good as we knew we should be. We weren't able to be right and live right and love right the way we ourselves wanted to live and be and love. And famously then, Paul says, a little later in chapter 7, he says these words. He says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Do you hear it? Condemned by the law, we do not measure up. But also condemned by our own conscience. We're helpless to be the people we know we need to be. We're helpless to change our own hearts and lives. Do you feel this at all? It describes me, my life. Does it describe yours? You try to do what's right. You try to respond in, in a proper way. You try to make the right choice, but you end up making a selfish choice maybe speaking destructive words, maybe pulling back when you need to lean in, maybe hurting God's creation when you should be caring for it, maybe choosing to worship money or power or sex or just comfort, others' opinions, and then finding that we actually get hurt, even destroyed by these choices, and we end up hurting others. We end up pushing the people away that we even love. We wake up to a new day, we're resolved to do better, to live better, to love more, and by lunch, we find ourselves caught again in patterns that we seem unable to resist, that seem to dictate our thoughts, our actions, our responses, that try as we might, the power of sin is at work, and we seem helpless to do anything about it. Which is why Paul then cries out in this devastating conclusion. Verse 24 of chapter 7, he says, Oh, what a miserable person I am! Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Can we feel this? Do you? Whether we look at God's holiness, his character, his goodness. Whether we look even at our own best intentions, at our own sense of right and wrong, can we feel the power of our helplessness? The condemnation that we cannot do what is right because we cannot be right, that something's off within us. Something's off around us. Something has tainted everything that we touch. That sin has wrecked us and wrecked others. And there is a real sense. This is why the word slavery is used. There's a real sense in which we are helpless before it. 
helpless to do what is right. It doesn't mean we don't make right choices sometimes. It doesn't mean that we are totally and completely bad. That's not what it means. But that we consistently fall short, not only of God's law, but even of our own. We consistently fall short. We fail to be holy. We fail to be good. We fail to measure up. We fail to be who God has called us to be. Whether we're thinking of personal sin, the way we've treated others, the choices we've made in our lives, whether we think of historic sin, and the way that humans have consistently hurt others, other people groups, in, in certain times where injustice and evil has just run roughshod over the lives of men and women and children, how we still bear the marks of that. Whether it's the pain and groaning of the creation that God gave us to care for and yet we've consistently degraded it. Or whether it's just the relational pain from a marriage in which awful things are said to one another right up to the global stage where one tribe kills another, one nation wars against another. God's good world was our oyster, a gift that God had given us for each other, for creation, and we smashed it. We lit our own bed on fire. We were humpty dumpty sitting on a wall. We had a great fall, and literally no one, including ourselves, was able to put us back together again. And that's the story of the world. And we sit there and think, yeah, okay, we try, but we can't change ourselves. We can't make the world right. We can't go back and fix the things that were done wrong. We can't overcome the evil. We can't bring the healing. We just can't. And with that comes an incredible feeling. Not just feeling. The truth, the reality that we're condemned for that. We are responsible and we messed it up. We're accountable. And there's a hopeless struggle that then sets us up to cry out with Paul, who will free us but then to receive the glorious answer that he goes on to speak with power. In verse 25 of chapter 7, he says, thank God. The answer, the answer to this sin, the answer to this slavery, the answer to this struggle, the answer to this helplessness, this, the answer to this condemnation, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We can't, but God can. And in fact, summarizing the whole good news of the whole Bible, the whole story of Jesus, not just that God can, but God did. God did. So now, there is no condemnation. It comes out of that sense of condemnation that we deserve, that we live under, that is the reality of our lives. But because of Jesus, so now, there is no condemnation condemnation. Well, Paul then goes on in verse 3 and 4 to explain how this fits now in the story of Israel, but in our own story, in terms of old covenant, but now with the new covenant that has come. Verse 3, the law of Moses, for the Mosaic law under which the, the story of Israel takes place, but stands and condemns them and us, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful Nature. This is always important to remember. You know, Paul goes at great length to explain how the law is good. 
But the law is ineffectual. It doesn't change our hearts and minds. Laws never change the heart. We need a core change. And this external law, which reveals God's character, which describes the right way to live, just doesn't actually do anything inside of us. It was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. It could only condemn us. And so, God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law might be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Jesus did what the law couldn't do, which was to release us from condemnation, to end sin's control over us. Jesus did for us what we could not do, which was to live righteously before God. Jesus did what we could not, but then he turns around and offers all that he did to us, for us, in us, so that we can live condemnation-free. No longer slaves to sin, no longer standing condemned, but now following the leadership of the Holy Spirit rather than the slavery of hollow sins. Let's get really personal here. Do you struggle with a feeling of condemnation? Pervasive guilt, shame, self-doubt. You know, some of you don't. I know that. And actually, there's other things you might need to struggle with here. Getting honest about your own sin, your own pride, your own self-righteousness getting honest with the ways that you're trying to save yourself, trying to change yourself. But the truth is, many of us walk around with a pervasive sense that we do not measure up, we are condemned, we are judged, that, oh, God might love us, but the moment we mess up, his love can turn on a dime, can change in a moment. Do you feel that? Do you struggle with that? Because God is calling us to live from a new center. To live from this all-powerful truth that Jesus has already done for us. What we couldn't do for ourselves. What we may be trying to still do for ourselves. He did it for us and offers us this new life by his Holy Spirit as a gift. Unconditional. You can live condemnation free. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. For those who have said yes to Jesus, we really uh, truly are free to now walk by the Holy Spirit and to find within ourselves a power that actually enables us to walk condemnation 
free, but to walk free in his spirit. Alive and kicking with the grace of God. So when you experience a struggle, you can say, I live condemnation free. When you find that there's doubts rising up again in whether or not God loves you, whether or not you're okay, whether or not he accepts you, you can look that doubt straight in the face and say, because of what Jesus done for me, what he's done for me, I'm condemnation free. I'm good to go. I'm fully in. The spirit is within me and I'm walking after Jesus. We're called to live this way from this center, condemnation free. And I believe that living from that center literally changes everything. We're going to see this as we proceed through Romans 8, as we explore battles with temptations, as we wrestle with our identity, as we face ongoing fears, as we admit that we're often unsure of how we are supposed to pray. When we're wrestling in the midst of suffering and we're wondering why and we're wondering about God's plan and we're struggling with God's love, all these things come up in Romans 8. And it all connects back to this center that what Jesus has done for us completes it. He fully satisfied the just requirements of the law. He released us from sin's power. He offers us new life by his spirit. It changes the way we experience every single thing. Listen, my heart for you, my heart for us as a community, is that we would live from that center. That we would live from a center that is so animated by the grace of God. So captured by his lack of condemnation. The gift of life and freedom in Jesus. That that would be so your center. That whatever's going on in your life is reoriented because of that. Now living from the center doesn't mean everything in life gets easier. In fact, some things will get harder. But in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of the difficulties that we face, we live now from a gospel center, a good news center, which fills us with a joy we never would have known and a power that we never would have dared to imagine. We will still struggle with sin and yet find within ourselves the Spirit's power to overcome. We will still suffer and yet we will grow in our confidence of God's glorious plan. We will still face doubt and fear, and yet we will do so with more and more boldness, knowing our truest identity as God's spirit kids. We will still feel weak. We will still experience helplessness. And yet, even in those very moments, we will know that we are never alone because God's Holy Spirit is in us taking our groans up and groaning them with us, advocating on our behalf. In other words, we're still going to find that we're living in the middle of a mess, but we'll be doing so from a new place, a spirit core 
gospel center. And we'll find a peace and a synergy and a dynamism that keeps us from flying off the rails or wobbling out of control, from losing everything to the struggles of life. We'll find our center in Christ. So what centers you? What centers your life? Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, let's get practical. Some concrete application. I'd like to suggest three. The first is an action for you this week. I encourage you to read Romans 8. Take it up in any translation. The New Living Translation is great. New International Version, but whatever suits you. Read Romans 8. And as you do, here's my concrete challenge. Take a sheet of paper out and write a list of all the things that you are thankful for. We're here on Thanksgiving Sunday. The spirit of gratitude is in the air. And I encourage you to take Romans 8 this week, and as you read it, write down a list of all that you are thankful for. And then, thank God for it. Express your gratitude for all of these gifts. You will discover many. All these gifts that are uncovered in Romans 8. So that's the first concrete application for this week. The second is to pray a prayer. I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to recenter you, to center you in his condemnation-free life. In particular, in a place where you're struggling the most. So, you take a moment and think, what is it that forms much of my center? What is it that my life seems to revolve around? A struggle or a worry or a concern or an ambition, a joy. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to decenter the things that need to move and center your life in Him? I invite you to, to open up your hands and pray a simple prayer. It could go something like this Holy Spirit, center me in your life. You can pray that even now. Holy Spirit, I want to live from the center of what God has done for me in Jesus. Would you recenter me? It might be an opportunity for you to confess some things that have been occupying your center. I like house cleaning. But then invite the Holy Spirit to recenter you. That's the second. The third practical application point is this. I want to offer you a discussion question. I've been encouraging you for quite a while now to find a spiritual friend or to find someone that you are willing to invest your life into, maybe someone younger, someone that is exploring faith, someone that you're mentoring. Here's my discussion question I encourage you to have with them. Ask them, how has your understanding of what Jesus has done help you overcome self-condemnation? 
How has your understanding of what Jesus has done helped you overcome self-condemnation? Talk about it. Talk about God's grace. Talk about what Jesus has done. Wrestle together. Acknowledge the ways that you still struggle with that. But talk about it with each other. I encourage you to do that. Listen. The call of the good news of Jesus is that we would live from this new center. I can't think of a more beautiful way for us to move here at the very end than into communion. Because communion is an invitation to recenter, an invitation to gather around a table with the bread, with the juice, the body and the blood of Jesus. And to hear in that very moment the good news story of Jesus yet again. Listen, friends, at this table, there is no condemnation. Now, if you are here today and you have not yet decided to follow Jesus, if you are exploring things, I want to invite you right now to ask Jesus to recenter you too. And if you're hearing this right now as a seeker, someone new to things, I invite you to, to find some bread, find some juice, and at this very moment, as I lead you in communion, to say yes to what Jesus has done for you. It's very simple. When we come to the table, we're saying thank you to Jesus for what you've done. We're confessing our sin to him. And we're saying, come into my life. Lead me in your love and in your goodness. And if that's you today, I invite you to the table as well. Let's participate together in communion. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.